When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the History of Evangelicals and Politics, the Obama Era. This is Episode 8, Howard Dean's Bike Path Conversion. I'm John Fee. It all started with a fight over a bike path. In 1981, a doctor named Howard Dean was leading a community group that wanted to build a bike path along Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. The Burlington Elks Club, the Episcopal Diocese of Vermont, and a local developer were standing in his way. The bike path followed the course of an old railroad line that passed through the property owned by these parties, and they were unwilling to sell. The section of the proposed path owned by the Episcopalian Church ran through a 130-acre retreat area that jutted out into the lake. It was called Rock Point. It served as the home of the bishop, a boarding school, the church offices, and a conference and retreat center. The diocese wanted to maintain the privacy of its institutions on Rock Point and complained about the noisy motorcycle traffic that was already becoming a nuisance on the path. Dean was a member of an Episcopalian congregation, and so he was upset at his denomination's failure to step up for the public good of Burlington. He was so disappointed, in fact, that he decided to stop being an Episcopalian and join First Congregational Church of Burlington, a member of the United Church of Christ. It was a significant moment in Dean's life. Not only did he leave the Episcopalianism of his childhood, and adulthood. But the bike path fight gave the doctor a taste of local activism and helped to launch his political career. 22 years later, after serving as a representative to the Vermont legislature, lieutenant governor, and 12 years as governor, he was the front runner for the Democratic nomination for president of the United States. Dean came from a home of privilege. He was born in East Hampton, New York, and raised on Park Avenue. His mother was an art appraiser, 
and his father was an executive in the financial industry. Dean was educated at some of the best private schools in the country and eventually graduated from Yale in 1971 with a degree in political science. While on the campaign trail in 2004, he often reminded people that despite his wealthy upbringing, which included a stint as counselor at a sailing camp, he spent a summer working on a cattle ranch in a poor Florida community, requested a black roommate at Yale, and attended medical school in the Bronx. Dean had very little national name recognition in June 2003 when he announced his candidacy for president of the United States. Though he often spoke about universal health care and fiscal responsibility, though he often spoke about universal health care and fiscal responsibility, it was opposition to George W. Bush's war in Iraq that became the distinguishing mark of his campaign. Dean and Ohio Congressman Dennis Kucinich were the only candidates in the race who took such a position. Four days after he declared his candidacy, Dean won the online primary sponsored by MoveOn.org, the progressive advocacy group that gained national attention when it, when it opposed the impeachment of Bill Clinton in 1998. The victory over Dennis Kucinich and Massachusetts Senator John Kerry in the Move On primary made Dean the clear-cut favorite among progressive voters in the Democratic Party. While known in Vermont as a moderate Democratic governor, Dean's presidential campaign had a populist anti-war flavor. He was not afraid to confront difficult issues on the stump and challenge his opponents during debates. Progressive liked his roll-up-the-shirt-sleeves, in-your-face style of campaigning. His campaign manager, Joe Trippi, initiated an innovative approach to fundraising that focused on tapping small donors via the internet. By September 2003, Dean's supporters, the press called them Deaniacs, contributed more than $25 million to his campaign more than any of his Democratic primary competitors. I should add here that Dean's 25 million, however, paled in comparison to the 84.6 million that Bush had raised in the same period of time. By October, Dean was ahead in most major polls and his national lead was widening every week. On December 9, he won the endorsement of former Vice President Al Gore, this shocked many of his rivals, who thought Gore would throw his support behind his 2000 vice presidential running mate, Connecticut Senator Joe Lieberman. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. One week after the Gore endorsement, an ABC News Washington Post poll gave the Vermont governor a more than 20% lead over Missouri Congressman Dick Gephardt, Lieberman, and Kerry. For most of the summer and fall of 2003, Dean ran a largely secular campaign. In September, George Stephanopoulos of ABC News asked him if he was a spiritual person. Dean said that he considered himself a Christian in the best sense of the word, and added that he thought Christ was somebody who reached out to those who couldn't fend for themselves. When Stephanopoulos asked him how his faith informed his politics, Dean said, I'm not sure that it does. While speaking at a black church in South Carolina, he said that he didn't want to talk about guns, God, gays, abortion, and all this controversial stuff. And when he did speak about religion on the trail, his remarks were largely framed as attacks against the Christian right. One journalist wrote that Dean was obsessed with Jerry Falwell. In Waterloo, Iowa, he responded to a question about his spiritual beliefs by saying, let's get into a little religion here. Don't you think Jerry Falwell reminds you a lot more of the Pharisees than he does of the teachings of Jesus? And don't you think this campaign ought to be about evicting the money changers from the temple? But Dean also realized that in order to win the Democratic nomination, he would need to win over religious Democrats, especially in the South. As the new year and the Iowa caucuses approached, he announced that he would be sharing his religious views more frequently. This would not be easy for a Burlington, Vermont mainline Protestant whose conversion story had more references in it to a bike path than it did to Jesus. In a New Republic cover story titled Beyond Belief, Howard Dean's Religion Problem, Writer Franklin Four chronicled some of the difficulties that would lie ahead for the Democratic frontrunner if he was really serious about winning religious voters. Four described Dean as one of the most secular candidates to run for president in modern history. The bike path story, he noted, lacked any reference to God, theology, or a transformed life. Dean, Four wrote, had a spiritual narrative that is, well, not very spiritual. Even Dean's brother had never heard him connect the bike path story to his embrace of congregationalism. Dean, of course, could forget about appealing to pro-life voters. He was on the Northern New England Board of Planned Parenthood, and LifeNews.com warned that he may be the most pro-abortion candidate in the field. In a speech to the National Abortion and Reproductive Rights Action League, or NARAL, Dean said that the debate over partial birth abortion is an issue about nothing. It's an issue about extremism. The Vermont governor seemed to be on the road to capturing the Democratic nomination, but it was unlikely he could win over the swing evangelicals in the general election. Four quoted a former Christian coalition official who said that Dean was the candidate that the Christian right political operative Ralph Reed dreamed about. 
he said that Reed would be like a kid in a candy store if he ever got the chance to work for Bush in a general election race against Dean. Yet Dean pressed on with his appeals to faith. In early January, some of his rallies began with invocations and ended with benedictions. He started talking more about his prayer life and what he learned about Christianity and Judaism from a 2002 trip he took to Israel. I'm a New Englander, he told reporters, so I'm not used to wearing religion on my sleeve and being open about it. And then added, but I'm gradually getting more comfortable with talking about religion in ways that I did not talk about it before. When someone asked Dean to name his favorite New Testament book, he said it was the book of Job. An hour later, he corrected himself. Job was actually in the Old Testament. When a reporter asked him again about his favorite New Testament passage, this time he responded, anything in the Gospels. Later that evening, his press secretary, Doug Thornell, called New York Times reporter Jody Wilgorin to once again clarify Dean's error. He told her that Dean never claimed to have a theologian's knowledge of the Bible. With the South Carolina primary scheduled for February 3rd, some conservatives thought Dean's new appeal to religion sounded like regional stereotyping. Wyoming Christian coalition writer Christopher Adamo said, perhaps Dean should do a photo session complete with a Bible and a bowl of grits. Richard Land, spokesperson for the Southern Baptist Convention, said that if Dean tried to use evangelical language with Southern evangelicals, he would no doubt come off sounding hollow and false. Land thought that evangelical voters in the South would be a lot more comfortable with someone like Joe Lieberman. Though Lieberman was a practicing Jew, and really had no chance at all at winning the vote of most evangelicals, Land thought that Southern Christians would be more amenable to a person with sincere religious faith, even if it's not their religion. Dean's campaign insisted that the candidate's God talk was not part of some kind of Southern strategy, but many evangelicals who followed him closely in Iowa and New Hampshire had their doubts. One of those doubters was Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville the denomination's flagship school for the training of ministers. There was no chance in hell that Moeller, or most of the people who hung on his every word, would ever vote for Howard Dean, or any Democrat for that matter. But this did not stop the theologian from using his growing internet platform to attack the Vermont governor. Moeller pulled no punches. Dean, he said, was a member of the theologically liberal United Church of Christ, a denomination that supported gay marriage, homosexual ministers, and abortion. Moeller mocked Dean's bike path conversion for its lack of doctrinal and spiritual substance, but in his mind, there was not a whole lot of difference between the Episcopalian Church and the United Church of Christ. Both denominations were hopelessly lost. By converting to Congregationalism, Dean was jumping from the frying pan into the fire. Moeller's website post on Dean was dripping with sarcasm. He has explained that his newfound need to talk about religion is due to his discovery of the exotic territory known as the South, Moeller said. Next thing you know, Dr. Dean will be talking about kudzu and chomping chewing tobacco at the NASCAR track. 
Southerners are not likely to appreciate Dean's patronizing approach to both their region and religion. Moeller concluded that Dean is desperately trying to reinvent himself for the national campaign. This is not just a question of political risk, but of personal character. Just who is Howard Dean? And does he even know himself? David Manning of Dunedin, Florida, wrote a letter to the editor of the Tampa Bay Times explaining why no evangelical could vote for Dean. Republicans, Manning said, defend conservative Christian positions on abortion and marriage, while Dean spends most of his time spewing references to Christianity, only to then turn around and join the American Civil Liberties Union in its attempt to wipe out Christians. Manning was also disappointed with those on the evangelical left for suggesting that Christians should rely on the government, not the churches, to end poverty in America. He thought that those who believed environmental protection was a religious issue were off their collective rockers. Neglect of the environment, a religious issue, he wrote? What? I still haven't figured that one out. Where in the New Testament did Jesus say, go forth and hug a tree? Just asking. Those on the Christian left who seemed like they wanted to give Dean a fair chance were upset with the way the media and conservative pundits remained focused on mocking Dean's attempts to talk about religion. When the press made a big deal about Dean's confusion over the book of Job, Sojourner's Jim Wallace told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that the entire incident trivialized the role of religion in the campaign, reducing debate to a Sunday school Bible quiz. On the January 8, 2004 episode of CNN's Crossfire, Reverend Jesse Jackson described the press coverage of Dean's bike path conversion as a silly diversion from the burden of one who would, in fact, lead America toward putting people back to work and freeing us from war. Tucker Carlson, the co-host of Crossfire, was not going to let Jackson off that easy. Wait a second, he responded. It's not silly at all. He's describing his religious journey. That's what we're talking about today, and please address it. Don't dismiss it. As we have seen, Dean was soaring in the national polls. But national polls meant nothing if he could not win in Iowa or New Hampshire. The Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primaries could change everything. And for Dean, they did. There are several interpretations for what happened to him in Iowa. Most commentators argue that the people of Iowa started to believe that Dean was unelectable. Others thought his campaign withered under attacks from all the other candidates. Dean described himself as a pincushion. Some said it was Dean's refusal to release sensitive records from his years as Vermont governor, or his claim that the capture of Saddam Hussein on December 13th had not made America safer. Dean held a small lead over Missouri Senator Gephardt and Kerry in December. But in the first weeks of the new year, Kerry and North Carolina Senator John Edwards started to surge. The Des Moines Register endorsed Edwards. Then Dean shouted down a Republican heckler with the cameras rolling. Al Sharpton forced him to admit that he had never appointed a single African-American to a cabinet post while serving as governor of Vermont. It was not going well. On the day before the Iowa caucuses, Dean flew down to Plains, Georgia, 
to attend services at Maranatha Baptist Church. The Sunday school teacher that day was Jimmy Carter. Dean had cut his political teeth as a volunteer on Carter's 1980 presidential campaign. And now, in what looked like a Hail Mary, he was seeking the former president's blessing. Interestingly enough, Carter's lesson that day was on the book of Job. When he asked those in attendance where they were from, Dean yelled, Vermont, from his seat next to Rosalind Carter. Dean told the press that Carter had invited him to church in Plains. But Carter saw things differently. He told the New York Times that Dean invited himself. He called me on the phone and said he'd like to come worship with me, Carter said. In the end, Carter spent the day with Dean, but he did not endorse him. The best the free-falling candidate could get from the bolo tie-wearing Sunday school teacher was Carter referring to him as a fellow Christian. Hindsight is 2020, but from a political perspective, Dean's visit to Plains was a waste of time. The following evening, he finished third in the Iowa caucuses behind Kerry and Edwards. During his concession speech, he provided one of the most talked about moments of the primary season, and perhaps the only thing most Americans would remember about his failed presidential candidacy. In order to get his supporters excited about the upcoming primaries, Dean started screaming fanatically into the microphone at his campaign headquarters. Not only are we going to New Hampshire, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico, and we're going to California and Texas and New York. By this point, Dean was waving his hands and getting louder. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. He concluded the rant with a loud, yeah, making it sound like he was going to visit all these places on the back of a wild bronco or something. When I heard the so-called Dean scream, I thought I was actually listening to Major King Kong as he fell through the sky with a nuclear bomb between his legs in the 1964 Stanley Kubrick movie, Dr. Strangelove. Look it up. It's on YouTube. According to one report, Network and cable news played the Dean Scream clip 633 times in four days. Nine days after Iowa, Dean finished third behind Kerry and General Wesley Clark in New Hampshire. Two weeks before the primary, he had a double-digit lead. It was an embarrassing performance for the governor of a neighboring state. South Carolina didn't matter anymore. John Edwards, by the way, won the state, keeping his hopes alive moving forward. Dean tried to make a last stand in Wisconsin on February 17th and once again finished third. Meanwhile, Kerry won five of seven primaries on February 3rd and nine of 10 primaries on March 2nd, Super Tuesday. Kerry's only loss on that day, by the way, was to Dean in Vermont. Thus, by spring 2004, the United States electorate was preparing itself for a Kerry-Bush showdown in November. And Bush's campaign advisor, Carl Rove, knew that evangelicals would be key to a second Bush term. Stay tuned.
The History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It's a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support button.